0: contractor's journey to self-mastery requires discipline, integrity, and respect. Welcome to Hammer and Grind. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Brad Hebner, and I'm here with my co-host, Eric Triplett. And welcome to Hammer and Grind, the podcast built for contractors. Real contractors, true stories, real solutions. If this is your first time here and you receive some value from the show, please do us a solid and leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. We really want to know if we can make the show even better. And I do want to take a second to talk about our private Facebook group called The Profit Club. It's a group we've created to help contractors put profit back into their P&L. And if you'd like to learn more about that, jump on over to our website at hammerandgrind.com and click on The Profit Club. On today's show, we're going to be talking about an important topic, transitioning from craftsman to businessman. Eric, what do you think about this?
1: I mean, this is a constant battle for me. Just, just so you know, I mean, I, I might be crying by the time we finish talking about this before it's said and done, because this is a big topic for me.
0: Let's see if we can get some tears out of Eric tonight.
1: I'm an eye personality. I got, I got a couple of kids. You know, easy to make me cry.
0: Yeah. So, uh, this is an interesting topic, right? Why would someone want to transition from being a craftsman to a businessman? You know, the, we we've talked about off the mic about different reasons, but what do you think? I mean, why would somebody want to transition? Why not just stay a craftsman the rest of your your career?
1: Okay, let me, I can really point out the very beginning of this all. The very, very true beginning. You get a job for someone. You're an apprentice. You learn a trade. You become a craftsman, a you know, a journeyman in whatever you're doing. And, you know, you're working good and you love what you do. You get your hands dirty and all this stuff. And then suddenly you're like, Man, if I could just do this for myself, I could make more money, and I wouldn't have to have a boss anymore. I could have I could have freedom to do whatever I want, make more money. And that's really where the transition begins. I think that is the that's inception right there.
0: Do you agree? So once you decide that you can do better on your own, that's where you get that seed of wanting to become a businessman. Is that what you're saying?
1: Well, I mean, that's the crossover. That's the beginning of the crossover. Let, so whether whether you're working for a big company and you feel like underappreciated and you think you're kicking ass and you're great at what you do, and then you got a side job and then you build something for your mom and whatever the craft is, whether it's from building ponds or cabinets or whatever, you know, then, then all of a sudden your family and friends realize how good you are because you talk about it because you like being a craftsman of whatever trade it is that you do. And then all of a sudden you're doing a side job for your mom's girlfriend's husband, and then their neighbor wants one too. And then you're like, wow, this is kind of cool. And my boss has been kind of a jackass lately. I feel underappreciated. People don't say thank you to me enough. I'm just going to start my own business. Boom. Now you have to become a businessman.
0: That's an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, I think there's some people that come out of their mom's womb wanting to be entrepreneurs, you know what I mean? And then they just somehow figure out or, or fall into the trades and then uh, ultimately plan on being a businessman. But
1: Okay, well, I, I think, let I me mean, interrupt you there, because they're already in the business, they they're, they're want to be a businessman more than a craftsman. That's what I think. If they have that DNA, you know, entrepreneurship, they're selling lemonade, they're collecting baseball cards, they're flipping stuff, they get into something, into a trade, and then they're like, wow, this could become a business for me. You know, but they're already in that business mindset. It's not the craftsman turning to a businessman. It's very different.
0: Yeah. And that's pretty much what I did. I mean, I consider myself a businessman first and then a craftsman second, even though I started out in the trades about 15 years ago. I was, you know, I started out in the trades, but I always consider whenever I started my business, when I made the decision, I'm going to start my own business. I always consider myself a businessman first and a craftsman second.
1: I'm 180 degree opposite of that. I was just like, I'm just going to do what I like for people and collect the money and figure it out along the way. So I was totally polar opposite.
0: Yeah. We're still polar opposite. So to it's interesting I. though. I mean, even though I consider myself a businessman first, I still had to go through the craftsman phase. I basically had to start out as a craftsman and then make the transition to businessman. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But, you know, basically going from out in the field into the office, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the easiest way to talk about the transition. But what you're saying is that some people are just born entrepreneurs and some people are born craftsmen. And then they decide one day I could do better than where I'm at. I'll just start my own business. Yeah, for sure. I get that right or did I mess that all up?
1: No, No, I think I think that's exactly the thing. You know, it's interesting that you're a polar opposite of me. So as we have this conversation, we're getting the two different sides of the of the coin, really. So, I mean, for me right now, if if you said, hey, Eric, you know, oh, you're a businessman? I'm like, eh, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a craftsman and I, and I run a business. You know, for you, you're like, yeah, I'm a businessman. My craft, my trade is this. I, I still talk like that. Uh, the realization, though, is I know I need to be a businessman. I work at it hard to be better at it every day. It becomes easier and easier for me to be a, an artist and a craftsman. And it's still hard for me to, like work on that businessman stuff like okay cool let me work on these kpis let me look at the numbers let me look at the percentages let me see how to scale you know so for me it's more exciting the artist side than the businessman side and i want to be i wish i was more excited about being a businessman but currently at this point in my life it's just the necessary evil that i have to do
0: yeah that's interesting I mean, you built your whole identity around it, right? The pond digger. I mean, you literally in your yeah. name or you build ponds, you dig ponds like you can't even you can even if you were to go into your office full time, your entire identity around the business is built around you working out in the field.
1: And it's a blessing and a curse because, you know, sometimes when I build a pond, I want to empower my guys to go out and do it. And then sometimes the homeowners like, oh. Are, are you going to build my waterfall? I'm like, oh no, I'm gonna. My team's gonna do it. They're amazing. I've been working with them for years. I've trained them. They're gonna do your waterfall. And they're like, oh. I, I mean, I thought you were gonna build the waterfall, you know. So, it's it's a weird transition, and I'm still stuck in that because I I really do love getting my hands dirty. Still, I really do.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I still enjoy you know going back out in the field on certain things. So I mean, I do like that. Aspect of it. I mean, I do like to build things and work with my hands. I get tired sometimes to sit in the office if I'm, you know, in here every day for several weeks in a row and I don't have to go out and do anything. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I always say, you know, when they say, "What do you do?" I don't say I'm a handyman. I say I own a handyman business or I own a contracting business. Right? I'm an owner. I'm a businessman. Yeah. I'm not a craftsman. So it's so
1: funny. I'm smiling so much right now because I'm like, I build koi ponds. I touch people's lives with water. You know, that's I'm like, I'm a craftsman.
0: I bet you like touching people's stuff, don't you?
1: I love touching people's lives with water. That's what I love.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So this is interesting because we didn't talk about this ahead of time as far as how we got to where we're at. So it's basically polar opposites, which shocker here. I don't think Eric and I ever agree on anything, so.
1: Sometimes. It's, it's rare. <laughs> it's that anomaly sometimes, but it's cool.
0: We agree that you talk too much.
1: Well, we, we can agree that we have the same core values. D- we do, yeah. Discipline, integrity, and respect. But, I mean, we, we go about it differently. That's, that's what people really need to know. Because well, while we joke about it and we do have our riffs and on, with each other, but we still have the same core values, and that's why we can continue to be on this venture together and have stability.
0: Yeah. And that's honestly, that's why I wanted to do this with you because you are opposite of me. I mean, we do see things differently and I think it, it presents a, a unique angle when you have two different people who have that core value. We have the same goals as far as helping other contractors, you know, so we kind of have the foundation and we kind of have the destination on in lock, but everything in between, we may do it a little bit differently. And I think that's helpful to get a opposing views on things sometimes so that, some people are going to resonate with me. Some people are going to resonate with you. And I think we can all learn that way. For sure. And one one thing I want to be clear on is like, everyone's like, hey, I
1: want to be around like-minded people. But being around like-minded people isn't necessarily the best way to go about growth, right? It's, it's about being challenged by someone else's insight or opinions, the devil's advocate kind of side of things. You know, it's funny, Brad, is... I actually have a friend of mine I've known him like 30 something years and a lot of times when we get in conversations I think he pulls polar opposite of my thing just cuz he wants to get a rise out of me and have a you know it's some great debate and I'm like dude I know that's not the way you feel you just did that so we can have this dispute you know and sometimes I feel that about you but I think not I really actually just think
0: no I for sure do that on purpose
1: <laughs> I believe it listen <laughs> Let's get back to the transition because the transition is important because I feel like I'm still in transition after 20 something years, right? 25 years, I'm still in the transition. I still lean one way.
0: Well, I mean, it's a journey to self-mastery. It's never ending. It's it's not a destination. It's a journey. So I don't think you'll ever fully transition.
1: No, no, no. Listen, because a lot of people can transition. They can go from like, hey, I'm in the field. I'm going to transition to be the business part and I'm going to hire out people to do the rest of the stuff. And then I'm going to work on work on the business instead of in the business. To me, I I still get caught there. And so when I talk to true businessmen that came up in a trade, came up as a craftsman, made the transition. Now they are in the office all the time and they're in the hiring and then they're in the firing and then they're in all that other stuff. Like those people do challenge me like, dude, you have to get out of the field. But I'm like, I don't really have to. I I know I have to find this balance. I want to work on the business and in the business. And that's my constant tug of war with me personally that I feel like I'm always I'm always struggling with.
0: Yeah. But listen, when I say you're constantly transitioning, you transition from the field to the office. Right. And then you transition from hiring a salesman and now you're not doing sales anymore and then you transition to a general manager who's running the business for you so there's it's still even though you transition from the field to the office you're still constantly transitioning up the ladder until eventually either you're not doing anything in your business and it's running on its own without you or you know you sell the business and move on but it's still a constant transition so even though yeah you're going from a craftsman to the office you're still continually transitioning throughout the whole process that's what i meant by it's a journey of of not, you know never ending transitions
1: well i agree with that but the topic is truly transitioning from craftsman to businessman so sometimes that happens in a decade goes from a craftsman you hire a trained staff you know, you get more people that are skilled, sometimes more skilled than you are in, in the trade that you're at you transition to office. Then you're no longer in the field. So you're really no longer a craftsman at that point, And you are all businessmen. And then then
0: I want to challenge you on that right now, because just because you're working in the office does not make you a businessman.
1: Well, I mean, truly. So yeah.
0: you're still in transition. You're, you're still in transition. You're not out in the field, but you're still transitioning to businessmen. So you're kind of in between. I mean, some people
1: that might take months and some people that might take a decade, you know, like, so, yeah, yeah, that transition can happen. But the truth of the matter is, as soon as you step out of the field and you put the craftsman bag down, basically, and come into the office to make that transition, whether you do it in a month or a decade, I don't give a shit. All I know is you're making that transition. Right. And, And not too many people go from in the office, on the business, back into the field. And that's always the struggle. And then trying to get back to the office and then back to the field. For me, the balance I'm trying to create is I want to be like water and go flow back and forth between whatever I want to. So the goal for me is to do that e-myth, that contractor's e-myth philosophy where you get the business running so smoothly, you can sell it. And so instead of Getting the business running so smoothly, I'm sitting on a beach, sipping on a Mai Tai. I go back in the field because I want to build a waterfall and then work with the guys and have that culture and fun back and forth, back and forth.
0: Yeah, I I was actually going to go there. Yeah, I was going to, well, I don't know about back and forth, but I was going to go there to where once your business is set up, then yeah, you can do whatever you want. I mean, you could work out in the field every day if you wanted to, or you could, go on a, you know, two month vacation, or you can just hang out in the office and take sales calls. I mean, that's what, yeah. having that ultimate freedom of being able to do whatever you want in your business, I think is, is everyone's goal for that matter. For most of us, we're still doing sales and are, you know, doing marketing or working out in the field or, you know, paying payroll and all the other dumb stuff that comes along with, with the business itself. So I, I agree with that. I mean, that is the ultimate goal is to be able to, transition from craftsman to businessman and then if you want kind of almost transition back to craftsman and have the business still run itself
1: yeah that's really cool to me and but i, I agree but it's that. still cool to like yeah, i agree with that go back into the office look at the L statements push things around hey let's put more marketing over here let's pull back on this let's do that you know yeah let's that's what's really cool but one thing i yeah, want to make a point think- on go ahead
0: well, I was just going to say, I'm thinking even bigger than that. Like, where you have literally have a general manager running your business, so you're not even looking at the P and Ls except once a month. You're you're meeting with your general manager once a month and or once a week or whatever, and it's like, hey, where are we at? Good, okay, cool. I'll see you in a week. I'm going to go out and play in the in the dirt. Yeah,
1: yeah. But see, here's here's something interesting I want to talk about because I imagine people listening to this to this podcast, they're either still working for someone else, wanting to make the transition on to do their own, or they've already made the transition and they're a craftsman, they're doing well. You know, there's, there's going to be all the different aspects of people listening to it clearly. Right. But if you go back to inception, you're a craftsman, you're working for someone else. You're a skilled, you know, highly skilled laborer or a highly skilled craftsman. And you want to make the transition. When you make the transition and go out on your own the first, you know, couple months is probably cool. Maybe the first year you're getting a side job here, you're making a little bit more money, and then it's like, oh crap, I gotta pay taxes. Oh, I gotta set money aside. Oh, shoot, you know, I need help. I need someone else to be able to complete this project. Maybe I need to hire someone. So all this stuff starts to happen. So running a business in contracting specifically, there's over a hundred positions in a well-oiled machine. There's over a hundred things that has to be done. All the way down from sales to purchasing to uh, logistics, HR, payroll, like you name them all. If you list them all out, they're all there. And so when the tradesman, the craftsman's like, hey, I'm going to start my own gig. I got a side job last week and I made four grand in two days. I think I could do this every day. What they have, to, they have to immediately start transitioning or otherwise you start to slide downhill. And it's a tough road in the beginning.
0: For sure. That's how I got started. I did a job for actually the guy I was working for myself and another guy that he knew he wasn't working for us, but he knew him as another contractor. He's like, hey, I'm not going to do this job. It was tearing down this brick off of a house. A car ran into a house and damaged it. And we had to take all the brick off the front and haul it off. And, you know, some brick mason or somebody gave him a ridiculously high quote. And the guy I was working for was like, hey, I don't want to do this. If you and uh, Jeremy want to do this on the side, I'll just pay you guys a couple thousand dollars. You know, yeah. like, cool. Yeah, like, yeah, let's do it. You're like, dang. So we went out there and did it. And, you know, we both made a thousand bucks or so each. And I put that in the bank. And that's what I used to start my own business with. I had a truck already. I had a few hand tools and I had a thousand dollars in the bank and I set out on my own. So, I mean, it's kind of like what you were talking about earlier in the sense of you kind of get fed up. I mean, the guy I was working for, I mean, we were only working like 20 hours a week because he wasn't a hustler. He he was perfectly content with barely working enough to get by. And I'm like, I got I to gotta freaking live here. I got to be able to pay bills and stuff. So, I mean, I figured it out that I could actually work, make more money by myself working 20 hours a week than I could working for him 20 hours a week. So that's yeah. what launched the whole thing. Well, I'd like to think that most of
1: our listeners, they're, they're kind of falling in that in that category. I think what we're talking about right now probably resonates with a lot of people and that's why they're still listening because they've either, they're in that position currently, they've always struggled with that position or they're getting ready to do it. Right. So I want to talk a little bit more about the transition. So the transition, whether you want it or not, I think a lot of people do want it because I think, I think ultimately most people are driven by money. I would like to think that, and that, that is also going to translate to time Hey, I want more time with the family. I want more time for myself. I want more time for my hobbies. I want more money. I want more things. And so that's probably a big motivating factor of it. And so when you're a craftsman and people are paying you for your trade, you're still trading your time for money. And so then you start to think like, well, if I get on an apprentice, then I can get more work done. I have more time on the job. I'll get more money. That apprentice becomes talented and then I get another apprentice and then another one. And then so all of a sudden you got six guys working underneath you and you think you're going to have more time and more money, but there's this weird transition where you're making the same amount of money with six times the liability and less time with the family.
0: Yeah, I mean, you got caught into the cog. You got uh, yeah. you got stuck yeah. in the cog of the machine and you you don't know how to get out. Now you have to work harder because you got to sell more jobs to keep six guys busy. And, you know, you're probably not pricing your jobs right because you don't know any better. No one taught you how to do your books the correct way and how to market and all that stuff. So you're trying to figure it out as you go. And then you're just it's just a never ending cycle of work harder, get more jobs, hire more people, make less money, work harder, hire more. You know, what I mean, it's just it's just a cycle. Yeah. And uh, I did that for like eight years. I mean, well, just
1: you're, you're smarter I, you than know, me. So, cause I did it I for ch- longer than that.
0: Well, I think everybody knows I'm smarter than you, Eric. Oh, I don't shit. think that, that's a question. <laughs> no, seriously though. I, if there was one thing I could have changed to go back, I would have said, Hey dummy, you need to hire a coach or you need to find a mentor. Cause I was like, I can figure this out on my own. I don't need anybody to tell me how to do it. Also, I was, I was, I had an ego. I was too proud to ask for help. You know, I I would always made the excuse, I can't find a mentor. Nobody wants, nobody's going to mentor me. Well, I never even tried. Mm-hmm. I never even tried to find a mentor.
1: Well, I mean, that that's one way to go about it as well. And um, I'm just thinking like, once you get caught in that, that crazy wheel, it is hard to break out, you know? And I, that's what worries me about a lot of contractors that are coming up and trying to get things figured out. So, I mean, the question is, when the original emotion to get you to start that transition, you don't really realize the transition. You don't realize you're transitioning from a craftsman to a businessman. I mean for me, that's how it was in the beginning. I was just like, hey, I'm I had to become a businessman. Like, not because I wanted to become a businessman. I just had to because the way things developed and grew. Like so there's there's also a point where a craftsman working solo could probably make a, a pretty damn good living. Right. And not take on too much Mm -hmm. liability and too much risk, but you're still trading time for money, your your craftsmanship for dollars. And so I think most of the time, you know, as Americans, I mean, in living the American dream, it's like, hey, I want a nicer house. I want a nicer car. Hey, I, oh, shoot. Now I, I got two kids and they're almost going to graduate. I need, I need money for college. And so, like, suddenly you hit a wall of how much you can make for trading your time before you have to scale and be forced to be in the bus- businessman role. That's, that's a weird, that's a weird spot. That's evolution. That could take five years, 10 years, 20 years. We don't know. Everyone's different.
0: Or I mean, it could take six months. I mean, you, if you, you can't have two kids, there. you
1: can't have two kids in six months. Uh-huh, well, I guess you could marry in and end up with two kids in six months.
0: Okay, you're right again. Or you could, you're right again. You could adopt too. Yeah. So I mean, I know I'm right. Damn, I know every time. No, listen, I know people who are one man operations who do really well, and the one that comes to the top of my mind is Ron Polk. I don't know if you know who Ron Polk is. He's all over YouTube. He's created the Ron Polk Mobile Workbench. If you're a carpenter, you probably know exactly who I'm talking about. And I don't know a whole lot about his business, but. I mean, he works in his business every day as a craftsman, right? And and he's been successful at it. So you can definitely be successful as a one man show, maybe a two man show type thing. But if you're a one man show, you're not a businessman. You all you've done is create a job for yourself. Correct. Right? I mean that's yeah. that's kind of the differences between what it means to be a businessman versus a craftsman. And again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being a craftsman and being a one-man show. I know several people that do really, really well financially mm-hmm. as a one-man show. But this topic, we're talking about making that transition. So we're assuming that people who are listening to this want to make the transition to be a businessman, but they're stuck and they don't know how to do that.
1: Copy that. But as, as far as this Polk guy that you're talking about, it sounds to me like he might have some support on the back end. Maybe his wife could be an integral part of his business. He created a widget. The widget is, is either he sells plans to make that widget or he sells that thing. And so that supplements his income and helps him provide scale in his life, whether it's a home or providing college for kids or whatever it is that's scalable in his life. And he could still be a craftsman with maybe one guy helping him out. So there's interesting twists there. And I'm not saying it can't be done, but I'm saying it's probably not really, really common.
0: I would say it's more common than you think, but I don't want to go down that road because that, that doesn't matter on this conversation. We're talking about people that want to make the transition, but mm. they're stuck and they don't know how to. And you brought you mentioned earlier the e-myth, and I, I want to talk about that for a second because okay. anyone who's like, hey, I'm thinking about becoming a contractor. Is there any advice you can give me or is there any resources, you know, whatever books read? My number one thing I always tell every single person is you need to read the E-Myth by uh, Michael Gerber. It's actually the E-Myth Revisited is the version because that pretty much lays out the model of what it means to be a technician versus a business owner. Like you mentioned earlier, having the systems in place to be able to do that. And when I read that book, I didn't read it until several years into my business. It was like huge eye opener. And, you know, ever since that time I read that book, I was always trying to get closer to creating that in my business based on that book.
1: And and his end game is sell the business. Yeah.
0: And so I believe 100% that when you start a business, your end game should be to sell the business, regardless if you ever plan on selling it.
1: So I've fought that for years because, you know, I I don't really want, I mean, I felt, I was always saying like, Hey, if I won the lottery, I'd still kind of go, I'd still go out and build ponds. I'd build whatever, what I wanted for whoever I wanted whenever I felt like it. Right. But, you know, as I get older, my transition is still kind of flexing one way to the other. And so I think about selling my business now, you know, I mean, as I broke 50, I'm like, okay, do I want to do this forever? You know, at what point does the body start to slow down and go, hey, you're, you're getting too old for this. You can't lift rocks anymore.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, when you're 25, 21, 30, when you start your business, nobody knows what the future holds, right? Nobody knows if you're going to sell. I mean, you could be like, I'll never sell my business ever. They'll have to kill me. That's me. (laughs) You don't. (laughs) Yeah. You don't know that 20 years later, you'll be like, Oh, I need to sell my business. This, this is kind of wearing on me. So if you set up your business and this, and this is a totally different podcast, but when you name your business, that's why it's important about what you name your business is because when you do go to sell it, it will matter at that time. Sure. But if you set it up to where that you can sell the business, it forces you To have to have systems in place, it forces you to to build a business that can run without you, which is the main thing you have to do in order to be able to transition out of the field and into the office. And then ultimately into that position of being able to do whatever you want. Like it has to run without you. You have to have systems and operating procedures and all these things in place because you can't just wake up, have all that information in your head and be like, okay, Today, you're going to do this and this, this, this and this and just become a task machine where you're just basically every day tasking everybody with things that need to be done and they're never sure. thinking for themselves.
1: Yeah, sure. So I know someone who's is very good at his trade. He's in the pond industry. He's a one man show. When he needs extra help, he'll go and labor ready and hire some laborers to help him get through things. And he's very proud and like pounds his chest a little bit about how like, hey, he does great. You know, he doesn't have to do payroll and hire everything. And he's like a really amazing one man show and he's makes plenty of money. Okay. Been knowing him for many years. So now he has, he just had another baby. So now they have two beautiful girls. And now he's, he has more pressure on, on the home front. And at some point, that pressure point is going to push him to like, hey, you're not making enough money. Oh, so now what? Is your wife going to go to work? Now, who's going to watch those two beautiful girls at the end of the day when they come home from school or whatever, right? So the pressure starts to build. And and that's when when things start to change. They start to think like, well, maybe I should hire someone. Maybe I should go from... You know, my tradesman, my craftsmanship to becoming a businessman and stuff like that. Here's the point that I really want to take home right here. In 2015, I had a world class construction company. Guys have been with me for 15 years at the time 10 years, 15 years, 12 years, five years. I had a, a really amazing team. I got diagnosed with cancer. Okay. So I was able to sustain my business. Even, you know, I made, I made a heavy transition at that time, but I was able to continue with my lifestyle and how it was and fight cancer for two and a half years because I had a team. And so I was able to move my chess pieces around because I had a team in place and I wasn't this one man show, just kicking ass by myself. And so I've challenged my peer that I'm telling you about. I'm like, now you have two beautiful young girls and a wife. She doesn't work. What happens if you can't work? What happens if you're in a car accident? What happens if you break your leg and you, you, you know, severely and you can't work for three, four months? What happens to your service route? What happens to all that stuff? It could dissolve. It could be taken away from you in a heartbeat. Unless you have a team in place, then you become extremely vulnerable and you could lose everything. And so I challenge people in that regard as being the one man show. And that That's my, that's my soapbox I wanted to talk about.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, when you're a one-man show and you fall off a ladder and break a leg and you can't work for three months, who's going to take care of the business? Yeah. You know what I mean? You're going to lose all your customers. And not too many
1: many contractors or not too many craftsmen have the businessman mindset to say, hey, I need six months worth of of, of money in the bank to cover everything in case of an emergency. Hey, I need some backup cash. Most of these guys that transition from craftsmen into businessmen, they – you know if they're making seventy eighty thousand dollars a year and they can move to a hundred, they're spending all hundred they're not they're not saving anything you know that's what happens, and that's where the vulnerability comes in and that's why I think it's to make the transition from craftsman to a businessman those are some of the things that are really critical that you need to think about
0: absolutely and you you said something that's funny because I go to Lowe's or Home Depot to get some materials or whatever, and I roll up and I see a new contractor truck that I've never seen before, you know, a new business that I've never, never heard of, never seen. And, you know, they may have a magnet on the side or they may have vinyl stickers on the side, real small, and they're driving a brand new, you know, 2021 uh, Denali pickup truck. Denali, it's like an 80, Nice. Th- an 80, you know, an $80,000 pickup truck. And it's like, mike's handyman service or something stupid and i'm like <laughs> "What he's doing hey what if mike's like, what listening
1: you... right now bro you can't call him stupid
0: <laughs> i hope he is listening because any... no that's that wasn't the name but i'm just saying like i mean that's what you're talking about they do a big job and they make you know a couple little bit of some cheese and they're like oh i gotta go get me a brand new truck that's not the way to do that <laughs> but that's a whole other topic as well
1: yeah, man. Yeah. Dude, I I have peers that are in my network that I've known for 20 years in my business model that go through that highs and lows, divorce, down, girlfriend up, you know, split up, down, like just get a big job, lose his ass on another, up and down, up and down, like just total roller coaster. That, that's not fun. The transition can be hard and you have to be focused. And
0: Yeah. Yeah, I had some struggles last year in my business. Currently, I have three full-time guys out in the field and I have an office manager. And we, last year, I, I only had two guys out in the field. I had kind of my lead guy and I had a helper and I was still working out in the field a little bit, like two days a week, kind of making that transition mainly because of just, I've always struggled hiring people. That's always been my Achilles heel is just finding good labor or good help, I should say. But what happened to me is, you know, COVID hit, which wasn't a big deal, except that my lead guy is in the National Guard. And so as soon as COVID hit, he got activated. And I took a big hit on a job because as as well as the two guys working for me, I had a a subcontractor. He was basically a a full-time firefighter, but he would help me on his days off. And so he had a, he's had his own license and I would just sub him out. So on his days off, he came and worked for me. And I had this huge bathroom remodel that I was doing. And uh, when I bid the job, I planned on having four people, you know, myself, my two guys and my subcontractor. And literally right whenever COVID hit, my lead guy got activated and my subcontractor said, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just going to go work for a a mason company because he used to be a brick mason. And so I lost half of my workforce like the week before we started this big job. And it killed me because I couldn't hire people at the time. One, because COVID was going on, like it was, you know, kind of a weird situation. People didn't want to leave and go, on. it was just a weird situation. So it took twice as long to do this job than what I had planned on because I lost my workforce. And so, you know, trying to make that transition from being in the field full time to being in the office full time, last year killed me. And then even in the end of last year, my lead guy came back. He was gone for like 6 weeks. He came back, worked all the rest of the summer, and then in November he got notified again that he was getting activated. So he left from November till February. And so it hit me again. And so, you know, that's stuff you got to deal with when you're making that transition. It's the three steps forward, two steps back, you know, one step forward. It's that's that's the hardest point in your business to make that transition from going from craftsman to the businessman in the office rather is that right? Right there, that critical point of making that transition.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's constant. It's a constant battle. I mean, it's whether you have a three-man team or a ten-man team or a thirty-man team. Imagine having thirty men and scheduling out all that work, and then losing four guys for you know maternity leave, for sickness, someone's moving. Like it, something little little glitches like that gets you bad. So. That's that's just part of the nature. Not everyone's cut out for it. We've already talked about that.
0: Yeah, so I want to throw down a couple things that helped me make this transition because I know some people are probably asking like, well, what can I do? Like, how can I make this transition? And I just want to throw down a couple things here that I believe you have to do. And it's what I've done in my business. And I'm still constantly doing this today. But like I mentioned earlier is you have to create systems. And and it doesn't have to be complex at, by any means. It can literally just be a piece of paper that you write down, like your steps of how you do that job. Because in order to be able to hand that off to another person on your team, they have to kind of know what to do, right? Like you can't just say, okay, Eric, now do this, go do this. Step one, go do this. And then when you get done, let me know. And then I'll give you step two. And when you get done with that, I'll let you know, like, that's not the way you do that. Right. So yeah. if you create some type of system that's easily transferable to a new person that comes on board, you can say, look, this is how we do things. Just follow this system here. And it kind of lays out what to do. Sure. Right. So you, you have to be able to replicate that. The next thing you got to be able to do is you have to hire a players. You can't hire C players and expect to be able to replace yourself in the field. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. You have to hire A players. And in order to do that, you're going to have to pay more money. You're not going to get an A player and pay them $10 an hour.
1: Plus, the problem is if you think you're an A plus or an A plus plus player and you hire an A player, you're constantly critiquing them. That, there's a big problem right there, too, that I'm sure people are, are struggling with. Like, well, I can do it better. Like, well, it's a, dude, this is an A quality work. Just because you do A plus doesn't mean it's not satisfactory. There's a big problem right there.
0: Well, here's that's true. But here's another problem. People don't want to hire A players because they're threatened by them. They think if I hire an A player, basically an equivalent of myself, then he's going to come along and say, well, I can do this. And he's going to go start his own business. Well, because that's
1: because the A player craftsman got pissed at his boss and left and started his own business. And so they've already did it. So they know it can happen to them.
0: Right. So, but that's not true. That's mind poop. Like, well, not everybody wants to do, not everybody wants to be a businessman. There are A players out there that do not want to own their own business. Well, sure. They don't want the uncertainty. Sure. So they're out there. So when you say, like, oh, I don't want to hire an A player because then he's going to learn. I'm going to teach him everything I know, and then he's going to go start his own business. Well, that may happen, but it also may not happen. Well, that's, you know what I'm saying? So you can't use that as an excuse. But here's what happens, Eric. You got me fired up now. I'm about to throw down the hammer. Oh, shit. When you hire a an A player who's scared of someone else, and really it's not even an A player. Usually it's a B player. But if you hire a B-level player, he's not going to hire. Let's just say you have like managers in your team or whatever. They're not going to want a A player to come on because they're not going to want to hire someone that's better than them. Right. They're not going to want to work with someone that's better than them. If you have a B player on your team and you hire an A player and he comes in and starts showing up your B player, your B player is going to start sabotaging him. Sure. He's going to start doing things because he feels threatened by him. Right. So you can't do that. You have to hire A players. Now, if you have a laborer, don't get me wrong. If you just have a general laborer who literally doesn't do anything but sweep the floor or pick up, you know, that's not a critical position. But in order for you to transition out of the field and you're going to hire like a, a foreman or a lead guy or, you know, someone in that capacity, they need to be A players. It's that agree, simple. Agree. Wait a minute. Did you just say you agree with me?
1: Yeah, I agree with you all the time. You're the one that doesn't agree oh, with me.
0: Gosh. And then the last thing I want to say is you have to learn. And this is I struggle with this. And literally, like in the last week, I've been making transitions myself. But you have to learn how to delegate. But more importantly, you have to learn how to delegate outcomes. And so a lot of people think that they delegate stuff. You may say, hey, Chris, I want you to go build this pond. Or, hey, John, I want you to go build this bathroom, right? And I want when you get there, you're going to do this, 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 and this. Well, that's not delegation. That's just task setting. So when you delegate outcomes, you're saying, this is what I want the outcome to be. I want it to look like this. This is our standard. This is how I want it to be when it's done. How you get there is up to you, but this is how I want it to look like when it's done. And that's how you learn to delegate outcomes. Now, you're going to have to, again, if you have systems in place, your systems are going to help you to achieve the outcome that you want. Obviously, you can't just throw somebody out there and say, oh, here's a picture of what I want it to look like, make it look like that, because they may take three times as long to get it done, right? And then you don't make any money. So there's there's some checks and balances in there. But this is kind of a 30,000-foot view of what you got to do in order to make that transition.
1: I like that. Outcomes. I like that a lot.
0: Yeah, and you that's your job as a business owner is to set up the system and then hire people to run the system.
1: So I'm like, I tell my staff, pay the taxes so I don't go to jail. That's the outcome I want. I don't want to go to jail. So make sure our taxes are paid.
0: There you go. See, you just created a system. Yeah, it's
1: beautiful. That's, that's (laughs) literally my system.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You might want to be a little bit more detailed than that, but that's the basic premise.
1: Right. No, it's, it's good. It's good. And and I, I still struggle with that sometimes because part of what I do is, 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 you know, it's artistry. It's like, there's artwork in it. So it's like, You know, I'm trying to train a piece of art to someone because, I mean, there's functionality in ponds, but then there's art of landscape, you know, so I I struggle with that. But I, I love empowering my guys to create their own masterpieces, you know, that they can be proud of, that our clients are proud of, and that I'm ultimately proud of as well.
0: Yeah, and full disclosure here, just because I do these things doesn't mean it works perfect. I mean, literally just this morning, I go out to a job site, two different job sites to check on them. And literally, I found things at both job sites that weren't acceptable, right? So it's like, okay, I got to crack the hammer. I got to bang the hammer a little bit and be like, okay, this isn't acceptable. We need to fix this. So, you know, you're still going to have that, but you, but it's not like every 10 minutes, okay, boss, what do you want me to do next? Okay, boss, what should I do next? You know what I mean? It's like, this is what the yeah. outcome make it happen. And then I'm going to check you along the way. Okay. We, we got off that We derailed a little bit right here. Let's come back this direction and do this next time, blah, blah, blah. So that's what you have to do is replace yourself as you move up.
1: Since we're trying to, you know, help people figure out distinctions on how they could make improvements and so forth. So I've been guilty of just exactly that, just creating like, you know, I'm delegating tasks, do this, this, that, do this, this, that. And then, so My guys are coming back to me with problems like, hey, I got this problem, boss. What do you want me to do? And I'm like, hey, do this. I'm like, okay. so I've trained them to identify problems, bring the problem to me. I'll tell them what to do. So one of the things that I did a long time ago was like, hey, how would you handle this? And then I walk them through it and they go like, that's not a bad idea, but I want you to do it this way. Right. But then then I'd be like, come back to me with a problem come back to me with three solutions or two solutions. Tell me what you'd like to do. And then then I'll agree or disagree and we'll, we'll come to, we'll figure out how to do it. And sometimes they agree or disagree has to do with like, hey, do I have to go buy a new truck? Yeah, that's probably not a good idea right now. Let's do it the other way, right? So, I mean, there's that's why it's like, hey, come to me with a couple of solutions to said problem and then we'll make a decision together.
0: I'm guilty of this too. I'm guilty of this because- again, recovering perfectionists, right? So I I always want things to be right. And just like what you were saying, I train them to come to me when they have a problem. And so I realized like, okay, this doesn't work because not only do they come to me when they have the problem, they actually come to me every time they have the same problem, even though they know how to fix it. Yeah. Right. So empowering them and teaching them. And and here's the thing, all of us as human beings, when we come across a problem, we instantly think of a solution. Like all of us, you know, very rarely do you come across a problem and you're like, I have no clue whatsoever what to do here. They, most people have an idea. And so that's where, like what you said, what do you think we should do? What would you do if this was your business? Oh, I would do this, 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 and this. All right. That sounds good. Let's do that. Let's get it done. You know what I mean? And then training them kind of, and it's going to take a while to do that, but I came up with a, um, a worksheet or whatever you want to call it. And this is what it says. It's a team handy, our business. We want autonomy and autonomy and decisions wanted. I have this printed out on a piece of paper, real big bold. It's hanging on the wall everywhere. Autonomy and decisions wanted. I want them to be able to make their own decisions out in the field. I don't want them to have to rely on me. Mistakes are welcomed. Mistakes are welcomed. It's okay to make a mistake. But the next one lessons learned, encouraged. If you make a mistake, that's okay, but you need to learn a lesson from it, right? And that's encouraged to learn lessons. And then finally, ownership and outcomes required. So I want you to make your own decision. If you make a mistake, that's okay as long as you learn a lesson and you better own up to that shit when you do it. Did you say that? Did you say a bad word right now? I said the bad word. Oh, my it.
1: God. That's hot. You must be fired up right now.
0: You got me fired up on this.
1: <laughs> that's good
0: stuff. I love it. I mean, it's yeah. it's
1: good functionality. I mean, it's good. It's good explanation of what how to get your, your team to function underneath you and make those decisions. You know, there's nothing worse than someone going, hey, hey, boss, we have a flat tire. And like, change it. take Go drop it off to get it repaired. It's like, let's go. So. Yeah, I think I think that's all trained. I mean, and that sounds maybe like simplistic, but sometimes you have to start at the most simple things to expand upon and build upon that that the foundation to um, creating autonomy.
0: Yeah. And listen, when you're creating your systems, you start with the easiest thing. You don't sit down and literally write out your standard operating procedure in one day. That's not how you do it. You come across an issue and it's like, why are we always having this issue why do my guys always forget to lock the trailer at the end of the day when they come back? They just leave the trailer unlocked. Why does that happen? Well, I'm going to write a I'm going to write a procedure for that. When you get back, uh, unhook the trailer. You know, step one, unhook the trailer. Step two, put the tongue lock on. Step three, lock the trailer doors. Whatever it is, like you literally just write that out and then put it in a book and then you share it with your team. You talk about it at your next meeting. You're like, listen, guys, this is what we're going to do from now on. And maybe you post it on a wall for a week so they get used to seeing it. And you just keep doing that and you just build micro systems until six months, a year, two years later, you have an entire SOP written.
1: Mm-hmm. For you, it looks like an encyclopedia, like eight inch thick. It's like this massive Bible <laughs> page, <laughs> at the page. You would be
0: shocked to know that I do not have an SOP written. I, I really don't. I'm telling you, I did this wrong for eight years. I'm 11 years in, mm-hmm. so I'm still playing catch up.
1: Yeah, I think we, I think we all are because I mean, it, hindsight's 2020. 20. We're always trying to build upon it. I mean, that's one of our one of our values that, that we lean on is constant, never ending improvement. You know, like, we're always going to be doing this. Three years, eight years from now, we're going to be talking about how this podcast maybe could have been better. You never know.
0: And I want to leave with one final thought, and then I think we should uh, shut this down. Unless you got some more to talk about, but. My wife, she's a very smart woman, and she I would come home complain like over the years, I'd be like, Man, this I don't know why you know so and so did this. It's like common sense. Like you just you don't do this, you know what I mean? Or you you should know better to do this or whatever it is. And my wife would say, Yeah, but did you tell them? And I'm like, Well, no, I didn't tell them. It's common sense. Everybody knows you're supposed to do this. And she's like, <laughs> but did you tell them though? Yeah, (laughs) I'm like, no, I never told them. Okay. Well, don't you think maybe you need to tell them first so they know how to do it the next time. And you know, to me, it's common sense. But the thing is, it's not common sense. It's common to me because that's how I've been doing it for so long. That's how my brain works. But the way your brain works and the way your employees brain works is totally different. So if you don't tell them, this is how we do this. This is what I expect. They don't know. So all you do is end up getting frustrated over and over and over again. And I mean, I literally have wrote out like this is what the end of a day looks like. Like the day is not over until you do X, Y, and Z because they would come back, they would drop the van off and split. And I'd come in, the van would be trashed and receipts are still on the dashboard. that need to be put in and they didn't put pictures up on the software that we use to, to get picked. And none of that stuff's done. And I come in the next morning. I'm like, hey, guys, why didn't you uh, do this stuff? Oh, we, we just, you know, we got back late, just took off. Well, I, I never, I never defined to them what finishing the day is. Like what's required to finish out the day. Sure. And as as simple as that seems, people don't think about that stuff. So you have to define everything that you want. You have to define the outcome that you want. So it's interesting because this.
1: I just want to. I want to tie up the end in the transition because we've kind of went from like, hey, how to train your employees, and like this is all part of the the what we do as businessmen. The fact remains is if you're listening to this podcast and if you put up with Brad as long as, as as we have in this entire podcast. We have experienced it. We're in the middle of it now. We're we're constantly in the transition. So, I mean, I think a lot of my peers are craftsmen and turning businessmen. It's not an easy road. You need help. And sometimes just getting around a group of guys and discussing some things and not bitching about it. Oh, my gosh, this, but like going, hey, how can I do this better? Oh, have you described the end of the day? Well, no, I guess I haven't. Well, why don't you do that? Okay, cool. I'm going to do that. And then things get better. And things get better. And then that's how you become the guy who's a businessman who's working on his business instead of in his business all the time. And hopefully, at one one point, you're in this beautiful position to where the business can run itself. You could sell it if you want to. Or you could sneak back into the field, become that craftsman again, and do some magic with your hands while the business runs itself.
0: I think that's a great ending, Eric. Well, I do want to say one thing, you guys, if you're listening to this, we encourage you to go to, on our social media platforms and Eric's going to tell you here in a second, but we want to hear from you. Like, what did you take away from this podcast? What was it that you thought Brad's completely full of crap? He doesn't know what he's talking about, or that's a great idea. I'm going to implement that in my business. So we want to hear some feedback. So if you go on our, any of our social medias and, uh, leave us that feedback and hashtag in there, you know, what what it is that you're wanting to do, because we want to interact with you on that. So Eric, on that note, why don't you take us out of here?
1: Well, big shout out to everyone who put up with us this long. And we wanted to say thank you so very much for lending us your attention and your ears today. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would mean the world to us. If you took a minute to give us a review, subscribe. And of course, we want you to smash that five star rating. It helps the position of the podcast in the biggest way. And we're very, very grateful for it. In the meantime, you can follow us over on Facebook and Instagram at Hammer and Grind Podcast. And uh, if you want to know more about the Profit Club and our private community of contractors that are in constant and never-ending improvement, uh, jump on over to hammerandgrind.com, click on the menu, find the Profit Club, and find out more about it.